know, the CEO comes and says mm. she needs a presentation <laughs> for tomorrow, right? You're not going to say no. You're going to have that never time. happens. What are you talking about? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 106 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for whether you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends, old and new, that I've met through my career from techie to CMO, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Talking to friends, a quick hello to friend of the show, Keith Smith from The Advertist. Thanks, mate, for your kind review. This episode is recorded on Friday the 18th of March. Hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark and I continue with the five effing marketing fundamentals. I indulge my inner content geek with a chat with my chum, Cathy McKnight from the Content Advisory. And we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with her colleague, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing But first, we need to pay the bar tap. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, on to my regular guest. You know Jeff Clark, Principal Strategic Advisory here at Rockstar CMO and former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director. And we continue with our fourth in our five effing marketing fundamentals. Last week, we chatted about communicating the story. And this week, we dive into getting with the beat of our customers' buyers' journey. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing fabulous. Yes. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Uh, we've had a actually a quite nice sunny day today. I feel that spring is springing. Obviously, you've changed your clock, so you've already fallen forward or yeah. sprung back. Yeah, <laughs> got a bump on my head too. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in the weird world of time, which is odd because we invented it, um, <laughs> oh, we don't, oh, we don't, excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't change our clocks yet. Well, you know, we're we're uh, uh, in our Congress. We're debating such monumental issues like like making daylight savings time permanent, which yeah. I, I personally am not a fan of. And it's like, mm. could you guys could you please get on something else? Yeah, it's a little bit more consequential. Yes. Well, well, well we're going to change company. So, so we're an hour closer. Do you feel an hour closer, Jeff, this week? I uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the uh, that's the time sorted out and the weather. Let's move on <laughs> to the topic of the day, which is our fourth in our series of the five effing 
marketing fundamentals or the fundamentals of marketing, whichever way we describe the brand this, whatever the title of the book is going to be, we don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I know we've got to find a publisher too. <laughs> <laughs> These days, mate, you can just self-publish. It's all oh, good. I know. Yeah. So on the, in the first one, we covered branding. Uh, then we covered research. And last week, we covered the story. And this week, my understanding from the notes that we've prepared is that we're covering buyer and customer life cycle. Absolutely. What say you, Jeff? Absolutely. Well, I, you know, uh, we, we, we can't enter one of these things without our analogies to the rock world. Uh, no, so, true. you know, every song needs a beat, needs an arrangement. You know, you need to get in sync with the rhythm in the rhythm of the customer. So, you know, the challenge is engaging the buyer and, you know, mm-hmm. in their story, you know, any good song is you relating, you know, what you're thinking and what you want to write about and you want to get out there. You're relating it to your audience. So, you know, when you're thinking about the customer life cycle, what's the hook? What's the beat? What's the arc of the journey? What's the arc mm-hmm. of the piece? Is this a short hit? Is this a long instrumental? Mm-hmm. Do we have a solo? You know, whatever, you know, and, uh, and, um, it's not that I think one of the things is that, you know, which as we go through this, it's like, well, not every, not every song you put out, not every journey you're going to try to orchestrate or, 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 you know, align with the customer. They're not all the same. Right. Uh, and so it's like, not every song is going to be the same and you're going to, you know, you need to have some variety for your fans, but you want to know, but basically you want to know what they listen to. You want to know how to set up your set lists, et cetera, yeah. and, and then play it out and see how it works. So, uh, and, and also you just got to remember, we're not doing this. I mean, when you talk, when you hear some recording artists talk about their work, it's like, they're like, you know, they don't want to, mm. pa- they don't want to pander the audience, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We're selling things. So <laughs> <laughs> we're the, yeah, yeah, we're the artists that's sold out completely. Oh, we're, yeah, we're, <laughs> if you want us we, to play it, we'll play it. Yeah, that's right. If you're <laughs> going to buy it, we'll play it. Yeah. Yeah. And my, and I think the overarching analogy is we're going to be in harmony with our customers and hopefully. Absolutely. Now we've covered this. That's the last time I can tell, say that analogy, right? Because we've. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. And also, uh, based on the fact that we do sometimes prepare for these things, I know, or a little note tells me, that you've got five steps to the buying <laughs> and customer life cycle. Um, shall, we start... Google Docs. <laughs> <laughs> shall we start? Here's a little step? plug for Google Docs that are actually giving us. <laughs> <laughs> so so what's your step one of your five-step program well, so um you know one of, as i was thinking through this this is it to an extent this is one of those things that's uh we just when we're talking about marketing education and the whole reason for putting these fundamentals together this is kind of one that is fairly i would say is new it's not that people didn't have an idea about you know steps in a buying process or whatever but it's like things are um things have definitely evolved and and so um, I think one of the things that's is you know when you go through uh, these five steps, uh, there's a lot that is that is new and and changing. And one of the things is the first step is develop that understanding of a buyer's journey, like <clears throat> just in general. You know what? Yeah. There's a lot of models out there. There's the I mean I had a boss that always talked about the ADA. AIDA model, awareness, interest, discovery, action. Um, when I was at Forrester Serious Decisions, we had our own model. There's the education phase, solution phase, the selection phase, 
and then there's a little sub you know steps in in mm-hmm. there and then you you know you've got to put on the rest of the customer life cycle so you know yeah. what happens you know immediately upon selling you know how do you get people to make sure they're increasing their their use of your products how are you going to get them back into you know the, the mode for reselling support yeah. etc so so i think that you know, the first step is the, is to, and this particularly again for the marketing leadership team or the CMO is to say, what what's the model we're going to work with? Because they all mm-hmm. have validity, um, but you may say, you know, for our customer base, you know, again, my experience is in business to business, in business to mm-hmm. consumer, it's going to be a little bit different. So pick the model that that you think works in general, mm-hmm. and they just lay that down as a basis because you're going to be adding a lot of a lot of detail. Mm-hmm to that as we go through the other steps do you think um and i've done this a number of times and i've even uh, invented <laughs> these things mm. as as a as a consultant or as an analyst in the past um these and i've tried i've always tried to keep these things the minimum kind of thing that you can do because I, th- I think we went through a phase where these things were getting super fucking complicated but i think that do you think that's about right? I mean, those models that you've just talked about have got three or four steps, and then and then and then add on to that the sort of the post sale step. And well, so I think you're about you're about five steps. Is that is that where you think you need I, to be? Yeah, and, and and the one reason to keep it simple at that early foundation is because yeah. you know you're going to build complexity upon that, so you don't want to yeah. start with something complex and then make it even more yeah, complex. Yeah. And yeah, and that's yeah. you know that, that's yeah, that's I, that's, any problem. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think you can paint yourself in a corner, can't you? You can create this yeah. complex customer journey. Then you realize you've got to overlay it with, you know, the different industries you sell into, the different personas, the different everything else. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you've got this nightmare of spaghetti, haven't you? That, that becomes your customer journey. So that's your step one, define the customer journey and keeping it as simple as you can possibly get away with. What's step two? Well, you kind of hinted to step two because step two is identify the personas because mm-hmm. you should really look at, I mean, each each persona is is going to have its own journey. Uh, yeah. and, and even then you're abstracting out because you're not talking about in necessarily yeah. individuals. You're talking about in yeah. general, you know, the champion for a solution. What are the, how are they going to go through this journey? The decision makers, influencers, ratifiers, yeah. who are they? uh is extremely important and one thing that was interesting i was looking at um some of the stuff from the team at forestry i used to work yeah. with and and uh, I, I was involved in some of the buyer guide uh, reports uh buyer insights guys and they said that um you know last year they found that 63 percent of the purchases had more than four people involved yeah. And that's up from 47%. So we go from roughly half of, of purchases yeah. having four more people to two thirds. And, and, you know, and, and plus there was an increase in the number of general interactions. So therefore yeah. it's like, you know, you want to make sure you're, you're honing in on who, you know, where do each of these people get involved in the buying process? Cause the buying yeah. process is for the company, not, not the individual. Yeah, yeah. So where yeah. do they get involved? Um, and, um, and I won't get ahead of myself I think, I think, and I think persona definition is a bit like what we're saying about customer journeys. I think we went through a phase where they were getting super, super complex as well about, and, and you need to find those, um, attributes of your personas that you can actually do something about. Yeah. The other thing about personas as well is a lot of people, um, 
base their personas based on job role or, or job title. Yeah. I, I'm not so keen on that. I think I'm, you, you can do it based on need, right? And then you, you have clusters of need, don't you? And, you and, and also identify where they sit in the, in the buyer's journey rather than, you know, because, you know, for, for example, I, I, I was working with somebody once and we were talking about the fact that there was, um, you know, early adopter types in their, in their personas and a, a CMO that was risk averse or an IT guy that were risk averse, both needed the same information from that vendor in order to get over that risk averseness. So they actually had more in common with each other yeah. through being risk averse than actually their title in their, in their role. Is that, that's yeah. the sort of approach you, yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely, and 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 I also remember the days when you know we used to give names to persona like yeah. personas Anna, uh, <laughs> and this one's Helga, and it's like, well, you know, I don't know. Mm. I mean, to me, and, and again, this comes from by experience, both working with serious yeah. decisions and then you know being yes. in there is just like they was kind of like let's lay out champions, decision makers, influencers, you know, yeah. users, etc., um, yeah. and then you you could aggregate to abstract what titles fit into yeah. those. But, you know, yeah. I may have, you know, a lot of the people will be listening to this, you know, they're working with companies that have multiple products. And for mm. a product, the champion might be in IT because mm. of maybe the technical mm. infrastructure nature, nature of it. But they have another product that the champion is actually somebody who's in a business role, mm. operations role or whatever. Uh, and then there'd be, be some, you know, major uh initiatives for which your solution the champion goes right up to a c-level person mm. it's so it's it's i mean that's yeah, where yeah. that's where the the simpler you keep both the steps you're you're tracking in yeah. the buyer's journey and the personas um yeah. you're not going to get yourself uh, wrapped around the axle yeah. as you go further down the trip yeah and on that naming thing what i always try to do is actually validate the persona with a real person in the crm so if mm -hmm. you are going to give them a name, it should be the name of somebody who's actually in your CRM who reflects that person. Yeah. And, and, and also, like anything in marketing, this can't be done uh, on a whiteboard in a, in a hotel um, you know, conference room with just you guys in it. This needs to be fed by that kind of intel as well, doesn't it? But we've yeah, well, that, market research already. Yeah, because yeah. that, that, that kind of brings yeah. it to life. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's step two. So step one is just to find the, the buyer's journey in general. Step two, identify the personas. What's your step three? Is is actually determine typical buyer journeys for your target personas. And actually, mm -hmm. I should I'd say for your target personas and for particular, you know, general offerings you provide. Because again, yeah. if, if you've got multiple different types of offerings, the 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 journey is going to be different yeah. and 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 to me this is where um technology has really helped change the game in the last i don't know i mean probably every year it's changing it but yeah. you know certainly in the last five or so years because because obviously you could you could go to um analyst research you know again like at forrester they have the b2b buyers insights which basically are doing a lot of interviewing to understand what types of interactions people like where yeah. do they where do they get involved in a journey, and and you, you know they did it by role and by mm -hmm. by industry type, et cetera. So you know there's there's material like out out there that gives you a general idea. Yeah. Um, there's the old fashioned method which I used once, which I think I've I've referred to a couple times uh, yeah. that I used at Pega, which is where we would go into the data warehouse and we would we, we would pick a deal or we mm -hmm. pick a series of like uh, good deals you know, where yeah. we won. And we would just dump out all the interactions because the data warehouse was collecting 
you know, sales interactions, uh, you know, yeah. developer or website, email, you know, almost every anything that we we could capture we you know we did a good good job yeah but there's va- there's value in that i mean you described it as the old fashioned method but i mean that's still data related and there's value in that because and it was similar to a conversation i think i was having with your former colleague Kerry Cunningham on the yeah. show a couple of weeks ago or last week is the the issue of the that we tend to think when we're talking about leads and mqls and all that kind of stuff we're thinking about individuals going through the pipeline whereas actual fact we should be thinking about revenue opportunities or yep. accounts right so i think where you're doing that collection of data that's that's account based then you've got a much better view haven't you of where <laughs> an organization is in the customer. Yes. Community. And actually the, you know, the biggest challenge here, whether you do it the old fashioned method or the new methods yeah. is that you've got every, every person involved in the buying process, they're in your CRM attached mm. to the opportunity. Cause yeah. that's, you know, I mean, that's where mm. analytics tools, et cetera, fail is it's like, we're yeah. not, we're not tracking everybody involved in the decision. We're just tracking the, whatever the, yeah. the decision point. maker or the one person that was the original lead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, although those, those individual journeys are important too, because we need to have that tracked. It's just that not everybody's following along at the same time, right? Within an organization, an IT guy may get involved later in the deal. If we're talking about B2B and we're talking about yep. tech, it might be that, you know, your champion got involved early on. They may step away and come back later. All that stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. And yeah. and the legal guy, keep the legal guy out of the <laughs> out of the journey as much as possible. <laughs> but then right. again, you know, that content needs to be available because oh, yes. yeah. um it might be that a bright champion thinks, you know, my biggest problem with this might be legal. So I better get them, you yeah. know, yeah. get them that content immediately. And you and you want to help them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So but so I think that that as much as the and 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 sometimes it's good to do the old fashioned method just to yeah. sort of like for your own edification if nothing else but with um you know marketing attribution tools you know there's certainly some that came out with with a journey mapping uh uh, capability so you could see everybody attached to a to an opportunity and and where the engagement was um there's also uh customer journey analytics and orchestration tools that's now a Mm -hmm. category that's tracked by forrester and gartner um and 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 that's where there's a lot of tools that were very successful in business to consumer marketing mm-hmm. and selling that are now, you know, having the capabilities to do B2B or B2B to C. Um, mm-hmm. Again, the, the, the biggest challenge is you got to make sure you're collecting all the data for all of the interactions. Cause yeah. you, I mean, that was one of the things that was a big eye opener for me of doing the buyer insights guides is that you, there are a lot of industries for which, uh, you know, offline interactions are more important than the mm-hmm. online interactions. And certainly mm-hmm. there are going to be some people involved in the buying process, like a decision maker, or you'll see level yeah. person for which you're not going to get a lot of online interaction that you can, that you can measure. So anything, yeah. any of these tools is really best to find like a way to aggregate yeah. from, from everything. Yeah. And of course this relies on salespeople updating activity yeah. <laughs> in the CRM. Uh, but you know that's the other, the other um, thing was interesting is it used to be that the average number of interactions for a, a B two B um, purchasing process was seventeen and that jumped mm-hmm. up during the pandemic that jumped up to twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's not changing. Of, I mean, our, our remote behavior and our remote work behavior is never going to go back to that. And I, yeah. and and we moved, haven't we? We've moved to to what used to be called virtual selling and used to be a thing. You know, of of 
a, a different discipline is that's just the way it works now right it's, yeah it's so yeah. much of this deal happens virtually before a sales guy gets involved at all right yeah and it, particularly if you got um you know, you've got uh, online assistants that are cap- catching yeah. people as they're on your yeah. website. And, and so it's yeah. a little bit of online off. I mean, yeah. it's, it's personal interaction that's complementing online. Got to be mm-hmm. able to make sure you capture that as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the first three steps. So what's the step four? Step four is, is, is really develop your plan for how you're going to engage the audience. And so the audience being, you know, everybody involved in a deal. So the multiple personas where they are involved in, yeah. in a buying process, um, you know, and develop your tactical engagement plans, your content that is going to help to engage them, yeah. collaborate with sales, sales ops, sales training to make sure you're developing the tools that salespeople need because mm-hmm. then, and whether they're doing this, you know, virtually or, or uh, yeah. you know, person to person, they need to have, um, you know, they need to be armed well and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, make sure you're, Cover, and this is one of the challenges because you want to make sure you're covering the bases so that the audience, which is never going to go along the journey, you, you, you can't no. create it for them. Yeah. So you got to make sure that, that they can self-select, you know, mm-hmm. particular pieces of content that appear to be appropriate for them where they are in the yeah. journey. So you're, 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 you're kind of like, it's just almost like, uh, this is probably more like jazz than it is like rock because it's actually, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're setting a structure, you're setting yeah. a rhythm. you probably start with a, with, you know, some sort of melody and then it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, wherever, you wherever this goes is wherever it yeah. goes, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, Choose your own adventure. Is the yeah. And, and I mean, the one that. thing that's, that yeah. that's probably a downfall of the, uh, the uh, AIDA uh, model with awareness, mm-hmm. interest, but blah, 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 is that, is that, you know, you may, I mean, you mentioned, you know, some of the people that are probably more involved later in the stage and, and yeah. those people need to become aware of you. Yeah. I mean, they're not yeah. all of a sudden it's like ABC company and like, well, who the heck are they? And why, yeah. you know, I've never heard of them, but, you know, yeah. or again, I don't, you know, I don't track. Yeah, but, that's, but that's the that's the critical thing with, with the journey. And I think that's when we as marketers make complete asses of ourselves is when we assume somebody is where we think they should be in the journey and we address them in that way either through the email marketing campaign or something like that and they're actually not and then there's also this understanding that there's a group of people some of whom have never bloody heard of us and others are already in the functions and features and really thinking about how this tool is going to help them and we need to make sure that 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 the experience that we offer the content we offer helps all of them right absolutely yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the fourth step. So how do we engage the audience in the arc of the story? So that's that's kind of like our content strategy, our sales enablement, our sequencing and all that kind of stuff. So we're on to step five. What's the final step? The final step. The final yeah. the, a, a good final step and probably most any plan is <laughs> test and refine <laughs> because yeah, because you're not, you know, it's it's not mm-hmm. necessarily work out the gate or and or also things evolve, right? So yeah. depending on market dynamics or whatever, uh, you know, things will, things will change over time. So you can't rest on your laurels, even if you get it right the first time. So this is where the more tactical forms of measurement are really helpful. You know, Mm -hmm. email click throughs, downloads, video engagement. I mean, there, um, I, I know when, you know, when I was advising clients in the serious decisions, you know, we'd, you know, we'd often say, don't put, too much store in these types of tactical measurements, but mm-hmm. this is where they actually come in really 
really handy because you're trying to gauge the effectiveness of both the delivery mechanism, the tactic, and the yeah. content. And, and, and measuring the effectiveness of content is just, I mean, it's complex because you've got, you know, yeah. you've, you've, you've got the, again, the delivery mechanism, you got the content itself, you got the way it was pitched, you got the way yeah. it was, uh, it's True. fulfilled and, and all those things could be, uh, elements of why something works or does absolutely. not work. Yeah, and absolutely. so, um, so yeah, you, I mean, it's like, it's like everything, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you might run a PPC campaign or something like that. And the, 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 the campaign may be fabulous, but the content is awful or there's some point at which the handoff doesn't work or the, the, um, you know, the execution lets it down. Or the uh, worst, and, worst part would be the content's great, but yeah. for some reason, nobody seems to be interested because yeah, I don't know, yeah. whatever the way you gated it or yeah, the way yeah, it was yeah. pitched to them. Yeah, I could talk about that for at least another 20 minutes, certainly about the measurement of content effectiveness and the fact that it might not be your most popular content. It's your most engaging content. But anyway, we need to move on because <laughs> I just realized the time. And next week, our fifth effing marketing fundamental is marketing operations. So I think we'll dive oh, into, get to dive into um, the, the measurement then. Yeah. So finally, uh, Jeff, on this particular point, why is this important? What was it? Why well, do we need to focus on you know, it, it's it's funny because as you know, as we're putting this together, it's like it almost seems to be a theme that runs through all these things. What's wrong? If you get this wrong, it's like, well, you don't engage your audience. You know, yeah. that's yeah, a problem yeah. with bad branding. It's a problem with not doing your research. It's the problem yeah. with not getting your story, you know, nicely tied up. It's yeah. and and if you don't, you know, as we've gone through the various steps here, it's like if you don't understand where where it's best to engage the client or prospect in their part of the journey. Um, you know, it's just going to, you know, a great message could fall on deaf ears. And so it's, it just leads to poor performance. And um, yeah. And you just, yeah, as you point out, it's like, you know, you just don't want to look stupid in doing this. You, you yeah. want to be able to be successful. Yeah. Plus if you're not helping them, somebody else is right. And that's really what this and is about is helping is them true. try and solve their problem. And somebody else is going to be doing that. So we get to the final, uh, a point in our agenda, which is that you need to select a song that, uh, that works for this. What are you going for? I, well, I am going to go for, I mean, this is like, this is a theme for the podcast. I'll be there for you, you know, nice. <laughs> which, <laughs> which was a hit back in 1995. And it was the, you know, the, the very familiar theme from the uh, friends TV show, but you know, it, mm -hmm. it does have, I always like to just dive through the lyrics and say what, what, uh, what makes it relevant? And, mm -hmm. and it, they said, you know, so no one told you life was going to be this way. I'll be there for you. That's what yeah. you want to do as a marketer. You want to, yeah. you want to catch that customer and say, I understand your, what you're going through. So it's got it. the hook, it's got the rhythm that works with those fat, fast video cuts and it works with yeah. the art. So the arc of the whole friend story. Yeah, I love it. And, and uh, so, solo. <laughs> so I'll be playing out with I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts from 1995. Thank you very much, Jeff. And you'll be joining me next week where we'll be talking oh, about marketing yeah. operations. operations. One of your, your, your favourite topics. I'm very worried we're not going to make 20 minutes on that particular one. <laughs> Maybe it <laughs> has to be a two-parter. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Anyway, so I'll see you next week, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you. No one told you that was going to be this way. Jobs and jokes.
Thank you, Jeff. Nice excuse for a bit of a reminder of friends there. And of course, that was I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts from 1995. And maybe I might sound a little bit cheesy here, but being there for our customers as they try and solve their problems and buy from us is what our marketing should be all about. What do you think? Give us a shout on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. Right, on to another one of my favourite industry chums, as I welcome back Cathy McKnight. Regular listeners might remember Cathy from episode 46. She is the VP of Strategy and Consulting and Chief Solver of Problems with the Content Advisory. She has 20 years of global experience and expertise in content strategy, content management, intranets, customer experience and the tech that help make those things happen. Cathy has helped dozens of companies realise their content and marketing communication objectives, leading strategic business transformation initiatives and the detailed execution of enterprise technology implementations. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Cathy as much as I do. Welcome back, Cathy, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm very well, Ian. Thanks for having me back. Oh, you're very welcome. I think last time you were on the show was episode 49, which is quite a long time ago, even for our regular listeners. So for those that don't remember you, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, all right. I won't take it personally that you haven't had me back in so long, but... Um, oh, no. Well, also at the end of that show, because I listened to it the other day, I did say, I must have you back on the show. And where where is the, where is the year gone? It, you know what? It's COVID time. Hopefully we can stop talking. Like it won't be a thing coming, yeah. you know, moving forward, but time moves at a different pace over the last couple of years. So um, yeah. no, no offense right. taken, but um, so I am still chief problem solver with uh, TCA, the content advisory. Um, mm. And I've got a really long and sorted and not so exciting history in all things content, so technology, <laughs> consulting, operations, strategy. Um, and I love what I do at TCA. I get to do all my favorite bits with great clients, um, starting again around the world because I'm coming to your hood soon. Yeah, I know. I'm really excited about that. I wonder if I should record a live show <laughs> in London. Oh, with Robert and I, that would be so fun. <laughs> that would be too fun. I think <laughs> that would be very cool. And yeah, and don't talk to me about COVID time at the moment. If my voice breaks any time during this interview, you know why I killed over with the, with the vid. <laughs> so there we go. Um, and I've known you for ages and ever, and yes. we have Robert on the show every week, and he tends to talk to us about content marketing and about those kinds of topics, um, which is what, I guess, if people have heard of content advisory through the show, that's what they know you guys for. Right. So what other services do you provide, Kathy? So we like to say that we help customers tell their stories better. So mm. sometimes that means building content strategies or operational roadmaps. Um, sometimes it's the elements that support that. Things like audience personas, journey maps, social strategies, um, content-related technology selections. You and I are very familiar with doing those together. Yeah. Um, but we also get to stretch our analyst chops with vendors and agencies with things like thought leadership, roadmap strategies, and now, you know, Speaking events um, are coming back, which we are happily seeing and attending in yeah. person uh, more and more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to, I'd encourage our listeners to uh, check you guys out because I've certainly had you support events, Kathy. I think there's a video floating around out there of me interviewing you there's on stage. You, yeah. And... <laughs> so yeah, uh, ex you're excellent at that. And and then also um, last time. And we always talk about the industry news. Before I hit record, we were chatting about the gossip around the industry at the moment. So I'm going to ask you a question about that. Um, sure. Because last time you were on the show, we discussed some industry news, which is kind of rare for me because we normally just chat about 
any old thing that's going on. But what do you think of the Binder Gather content acquisition that happened a couple of weeks ago? I thought that was like really in your wheelhouse. Oh, totally. For me, this is a love match. There is not a damn solution that I can think of that doesn't or wouldn't work better with an integrated um, integrated structure for content ops. Um, yeah. And that's what Content Gather brings to Binder. Um, mm. So it's, it, it takes this, this structure and the logic and the process that you need and t- blends it with Binder's digital asset management prowess, which I, yeah, I think Binder is a great damn. Um, yeah. You know, so I think that's great. Now, of course, you know, like anytime vendors come together, with um, <laughs> your acquisition, whatever, the success of the vision lies in yeah. the investment and the commitment to integration integrate the parts right and we've all seen extremes on that spectrum so yeah well we've also some of us have been some of us in this room have been part of those as well so (laughs) (laughs) no mentioning any uh two-letter companies right um i heard um gather content was described as a cms I've used a content management system. Um, for I mean, we're going to obviously geek out on this stuff. And we're going to dip into this terminology and assume that people know who Binder are and gather content are and all that kind of stuff because that's what we do. Um, but I've heard it described as CMS. I've used it. I really liked it. <clears throat> but I thought it was more of a, yes, it does manage content. So technically, yes, it's a CMS. But um, like, but I saw it more as a in the content operations area where you're going to put your content, you're going to operationalize the editorial and then spit it out into something else. Is, do you agree with that? hundred um, percent. And that's one of the reasons I really like the pairing because it's not just yeah. taking content management and pairing it with a digital asset management system, right? Yeah. There's actually the context um, and the, and the, the, the process that's supported by that. And, you know, companies of all size, need efficient, repeatable content creation, approval and distribution. That's one of the things that we go in and help our clients with is, you know, a lot of them are really great at creating content, but you know, the process in which it takes to get it created and then published and then merchandised is really, really Mm. hard. Um, And Binder has been really challenged with being able to manage the text components of content. So when we think about content and again, sorry, geeking out here, and not yeah. the finished asset, but the actual components that go into the asset. Um, a lot of damn struggle with that. And gather content is going to help ease that burden, I really think. Right, yeah. And um, I think as well, I mean, in the how long, 20-odd years I've been in the CMS industry. Well, I'm technically not in the CMS industry anymore. I'm just a, a watcher from close by. Um, there's always been this challenge of getting people to use the CMS. We've always... <clears throat> We've always talked about the democratization of creation of content, assumed that everybody in the business was going to interact with the CMS. And it, to me, it seems it's, it's remained the same three people in marketing today as it was 20 years ago, right? And so that, that promise has not been realized. Do you think these kinds of content operations tools are the future of how we might actually start to gather content pun not intended from our audience well done um i was trying and also i was trying to get off of just mention the vendor otherwise people are going to think that's what we're flogging in but <laughs> if it's more about the content operation the nature of it and they're such so, so well named aren't they gather context exactly what they do yeah it's, it's actually a brilliant name because i mean there are some yeah. out there that you know aren't and we won't talk about that <laughs> um they want to impact our analyst business um so <laughs> You know, I think to to reiterate the question, I find it shocking that 20 years in, and same as you, um, yeah. that the technology is still not being used the way 
it is intended to use and really would provide the most benefit, right? So you're getting yeah. the return on the investment if you actually use it the way the vendors yeah. have built it and intended it to be used. So yeah. content operations it takes that content strategy, which is problem number one, because a lot of companies don't actually have a real content strategy, but it's yeah. putting into practice that content strategy. It's it's putting in the, you know, you always hear about people, um, uh, people process and technology um, yeah. to, to actually absolutely execute against the strategy. Um, and so, you know, really when we start thinking about content ops and, and a lot of companies don't know what to think about content ops, it's everything that impacts the delivery of the content strategy. Um, right. And I think there are way more companies out there than not who need support in that and, and really yeah. have to start trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, the weird thing for me is um, I've even met marketing teams where not everybody on the marketing team would access the CMS. They're like, Oh no, no, that's Dave over there or Joe or Joanne or whatever. And when I've asked for access to CMS, they're like, what? No, you're the CMO. We'll do that for you. And it's like, no, that's not how content operations works. We all are part of this chain, aren't we, of command? Yeah. And yeah. Um, if I'm going to approve content, I certainly don't want to do it by email and word, right? I want to do it in the cms right yeah. so and that that's that's what you're talking about isn't it about content operations that this sort of from idea to the finished product is managing that whole process in one place outside of email <laughs> correct so I, I love the word you use the the democratization of content mm -hmm. right and and i talk about it from ideation through to archive um because yeah. there's so much in between and yeah. Just having the pieces and a lot of organizations that we work with, they actually have the pieces. They have the people. They have mostly the right technology. What they're mm -hmm. missing are process uh, over mm -hmm. and over again. They're missing process. And mm -hmm. even if they do have process, they don't have the three of those working in harmony together. Right. So yeah. um, it's a it, it's about creating that that those those as cogs of uh, cogs and wheels that connect with each other that run the content like a conveyor belt out of the organization right. and into the audience's point of view, right? Because that's ultimately right. what you're trying to do. Right. And do you think this is more of a problem for, I, I think I know, I probably know the answer to this question from my own experience, but do you think this is a problem more for large organizations or do you think everybody could benefit from this? I think everybody could benefit from it. I mean, and I say that <laughs> recognizing that I'm I'm biased and a, a PMP, so I have my project management um, <laughs> certification and hug those books daily because I uh -huh. that's the way I roll. Um, uh -huh. But I think having structure and and we look at it as as you know sometimes people say oh content ops it's too limiting right so it's going to mean that I can't do this and I can't do that and what it does actually is it puts. Um, it puts structure around the content process, enabling yeah. the day-to-day -day stuff to be done more efficiently, more effectively, and better. But it also then actually opens up room for marketers and content creators and designers to do more innovative stuff because the stuff that they're doing day in, day out becomes very route, right? Habitualized. Right. So it, right. it, it doesn't take as much effort. You're relying and leveraging the capabilities of the technology to do what it can do and what it's meant to do, yeah. which frees up time for that creative, open, you know, 
parts of the the job that often aren't getting tended to. And, you know, that's not to say that you're going to schedule hundred percent of your time and follow process. And it's all going to fit into this nice box. We look at it as an, you know, 70, 30, 80, 20 optimally where 70 to 80% of a, a content operation is predictable. So mm-hmm. you have a content calendar that tells you what's coming up. You know, yeah. the pieces that are being generated, what the, you know, the tone, the voice, all of that is defined. But then you're leaving room that 20 to 30% for when, you know, the CEO comes and says mm. she needs a presentation for tomorrow, right? You're not going to say no. You're gonna have that never happens. What are you talking about? Right? And, and, and right in time communication. So think about, you yeah. know, like Oreo's infamous dunk in the dark. They yeah, were able yeah. to respond to that because they had room. They had a process mm. that enabled to be in time, in real time, in, mm. um, interaction with its audiences and you just mm. you, you can't not have that and that's where companies are failing now is they don't have time to do that we worked with a company it took them two and a half weeks to approve a tweet <laughs> why are you bothering what's the point it's done right like no yeah uh, yeah i, I <laughs> I'm nearly, I'm nearly choking. That was so funny. Um, the, uh, and I've seen those kinds of instances my, myself as well. Um, oh, and I've, I've, my, I've lost my point. <clears throat> so, <laughs> but, for, for, but one of the things I think as well from from what I, I've seen from this is because we're sort of on this, this production hamster wheel that we never sort of look back either and we don't think about what we're going to do. We don't think about what we have done. We're just working for the day. And also I was thinking about where you were saying there about having that headspace to be reactive but also, but also, because the majority of the time people are spending their time not even thinking strategically about their plans or what's on their content calendar, but what is it they've got to do today on that on that uh, on that hamster wheel? Is that is that what you see as the primary challenge that people need to overcome? Yeah, and and I, I hear you using hamster wheel as a negative thing, and you know, like I said, I think <laughs> content, content ops should be a hamster wheel, a well-oiled, smooth, <laughs> smooth wheel with a governor in place to make sure Uh that things aren't moving too fast or too slow, right? Because that's what happens is people get ahead of themselves trying, you know, they're already thinking about the final answer without thinking about the pieces that go into the answer. And again, that's what content operations, a good content operations um, practice will enable is, is to step back and not think about, I need a white paper, I need a webinar, I need a, Um, yeah. you know, I need a microsite. It's okay. Who are our audiences? What mm-hmm. do they want or need from us? And what's the yeah. best way to deliver that? Okay. Now that you know that, okay, what's our theme? What's our voice? How does this tie Absolutely. in? And one of the pieces too, is companies very rarely tie back their content strategy to their mm-hmm. overall corporate organizational goals and objectives. Mm-hmm. And yes. if you miss that. Yeah. Yeah. You're 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 just you're you're throwing stuff into the wind, right? Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. There's two parts to that, isn't there? One of them is um, you're not going to deliver authentic content anyway if if the right. if 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 you're if you're swimming against the tide of who your organisation really are. And the second thing is is nobody's going to you, you're not going to get your next content project approved because you're not aligned with the revenue goals or the um, you know the C-suite goals that they have, and therefore you've created a white elephant as far a white cast white elephant as far as they're concerned of content, right? That yeah. is of no value. To it. it might be shiny and lovely, and you may be very proud of it, but if it hasn't actually delivered against any business objectives, then I'm sorry, but you're going to be fired, right? Oh, one hundred percent. 
Well, it's not harsh, but the thing is, one of the caveats I'd put around that is it doesn't need to be successful if, as long as it's planned with purpose mm. and yeah. aligned, like with the forethought of okay, this is how it's going to or potentially yeah. support the company goal of X Y Z. It's okay that it doesn't work. Now you yeah. know it doesn't work, and knowing yeah. that is yeah. as important of knowing as what does work. Right? There's always lessons to oh, be learned. Sure. So. You know, try. I, I'm I'm a big fan of agile, moving quickly, mm. not so quickly you're tripping over your shoes, but mm. you know, and learning from each step. But that's the other thing that a lot of orgs don't have baked into the content ops process is analytics and BI stuff happens outside of the content team. So yeah. Yeah. you know, there's somebody you know. Think about you know some some person in a closet with big thick glasses, you know, pulling <laughs> together reports. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, okay, great. You want to keep the CMS under lock and key? Fine. You want to put all kinds of like rules and stuff about accessing the dam? Great. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. Open up the analytics tool. Yeah. Have some predefined reports, have dashboards, but let people go in mm. and play around with the data because everybody's going to look at it a little bit differently. And the nuggets yeah. that you're going to get from those different perspectives will absolutely propel companies forward. Uh, well, we're on a great topic there. I mean, we could just do 20 minutes just on measurement because I think for content teams, measurement is a tricky one, isn't it? Because often they're measured on how many things they produce. And that gets back to my version, the hamster wheel, of people just running, running, running for no purpose, apart from to do stuff, execution marketing. But I've, I got the sense there that your hamster wheel is actually connected to some kind of dynamo or something. You're generating electricity with your hamster Absolutely. wheel. Absolutely. Whereas, whereas mine's just disconnected in a cage somewhere and we're just running, running, running. Whereas I think yours is creating some value to the business, right? I think that might be the difference between the two. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I, I, like I said, you know, it's 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 a hamster wheel that has um, a governor that's connected to um, a conveyor belt. So right. each of the hamster wheels are moving things forward and not moving out of sync with each other, right? So in order for it to be the, I guess it's more the cogs in the wheel, but, you know, thinking about hamsters yes. running those cogs. Um, <laughs> It's it's propelling them forward at a at a at a manageable cadence, yeah. Um, so that you know, there's no part of that conveyor belt, the the process from ideation through to archive, that is being piled up or stalled because of the wheel before yeah. or after. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. And I, I think we've got the topic for our live uh, show over drinks with discussing hamster wheels. Hamster wheels. <laughs> <laughs> but on the measurement point as well, what, what do you recommend that um, content operations teams are actually measured against? Are they measured about the fi- measured by production, or are they measured by the final engagement, or how do you track that all the way through? Oh, so definitely <laughs> not number of pieces. That yeah. we have to stop the crazy. Um, yeah. Robert and I, in, in one of our workshops, have um, a whole bit on Bob the marketer and how he has this master <laughs> plan and, you know, so he, he's following along the plan and then, you know, sales asks for this and somebody else asks yeah. for that. And here goes Bob's plan, right? Because it's all about the pieces. Yeah. Um, yeah. So engagement, 100%, um, yeah. you know, and understanding, you know, where audiences are, what they like, what resonates, you know, all of those kind of things. It's about um, internal um, measurement as well, which a lot of organizations don't do is, where is that content being used? Who's picking it up? How is it being merchandised? 
that's massive. There are there are components we've seen within organizations and pointed out to them that, hey, did you realize that this graphic or image or video, whatever, has been used across like five of your channels? It's being wow. used in sales presentations. It's, you know, it was part mm. of the AGM. Like that is a killer piece of content. And they, yeah. they're not looking at that. They're strictly looking at things like likes and and retweets yeah. and like that and yeah. you can't you can't do that it, it, it's got to be a combination of of measurement yeah and i really like that idea that the, the piece of content is just an image for example that is reused in other things i think that anyway i can't <laughs> we're, we're coming up to time i could i could dive into any of this stuff really <laughs> probably for the rest of my afternoon the rest of your morning um but finally i'm going to ask you uh, the last question um, which I didn't do last time for some reason when I re-listened back to our interview. I'm, I'd like a nomination for our Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our portal to marketing hell for overhyped trends, BS and snake oil from this marketing industry we love. What would you see chucked into our pool? Oh, geez, I missed that question when you told me you were going to ask me that. Um, um, now, now, you can't admit that you weren't prepared, Kathy. I mean, yeah, well, I you of did. all people. I totally just did. <laughs> um, what would I chuck in? Uh, um, I think what I would love to see is people stop just what we were talking about. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. dovetail on what we were talking about. Stop yeah. measuring success by the number of pieces created. So I it is that. not about volume. Um, I take, uh, I take issue with, there's one vendor in particular who talks about content velocity and they've qualified yes. it over the years, but initially it was all about getting stuff out. Right. And yeah. It's not about that. You could have companies we've seen, you could do 20% yeah. of what they're churning out today. But if it was purposeful and started with the audience at the very first step, the, that's the yeah. why and the, the raison d'etre for creating that content, mm -hmm. they would be far well and ahead of where they are today. So, so stop measuring by pieces and start looking at impact. I agree. Does this thing need to be a weekly blog post? Does Yeah, I completely agree. That's the yeah. hamster wheel. I'm, I, I think we're both agreed on that. And yeah. you can trust a Canadian to pronounce raison d'etre properly. So I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kathy, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, I'm everywhere. LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and uh, I'm going to tease it up now. There's a new outlet coming soon in the next uh, month or so. so. Oh, is that a you and Robert thing? Uh, that's a me thing. So you think? Oh, how exciting! Thing. So uh, I think yeah. it's about time you wrote a book. To be honest, Kathy. Yeah. So uh, you know what? Everybody keeps asking me to do that. So <laughs> it would have been the time to do that. I'm a little late on the uptick, but uh, no, I maybe... think every, uh, my experience is everybody wrote a book during COVID. So you could be the first. There's probably <laughs> going to be a, 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 a desert of, of marketing books over the next year as we get out of COVID. So now would be the time to strike. <laughs> You're right. You know what? So maybe I'll have two things, but I have I have one thing <laughs> in the next month or so, so we can hey. uh, maybe talk about that on our live uh, live cast. Uh, yeah. and, um, well, and also this time maybe I'll keep my promise and have you back a bit sooner than uh, than than a whole year. Okay. But I look forward to seeing you in person, Kathy. It's a shame for the rest of the listeners they won't all be there. Um, but, <laughs> and uh, and I'll have you back on the show. Thanks very much, Kathy. Absolutely. Nice Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye bye.
Thank you, Cathy. Always fun to geek out on content. And I will definitely not leave it as long next time to have her back on the show. I'll include all her links in the show notes. And listeners, please say hello if you enjoyed our chat. If you're a regular listener, firstly, thank you. But you'll be familiar with the content advisory through her colleague, my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, their chief troublemaker. Speaking of which, it's that time. Robert is waiting in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Let's see where we are going to be transported to with a cocktail and a marketing thought this week. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Here we are in the bar. And a, it is a noisy Friday night here in the bar. I, <laughs> I, you know, it, I guess a couple of weeks ago, was it, it was the Finnish uh, yep. goth metal band that we had. It was. It was, going, and I found one. I, I, <laughs> I, I know you did. Um, and this, uh, have, you, have you gone country western all of a sudden? Because it, <laughs> It's some classic steel guitar and and some twangy tunes. I, I, it's quite the hoedown in here, isn't it? It's quite the hoedown in here this week. I am just so surprised. This is not something you usually see in the CMO Rockstar Bar. Yeah, it is not. But it's uh, again. I think there was a mistake on the booking. Uh, I see. We have a, a mariachi band for you, but uh, this week they turned up and here they are. So yeah, I'll just wait have... for them to pipe down for a moment and and for some of the line dancing to cease. And, there we go. Um, there we and, go. Uh, that's better. Okay. And so, shall we order some drinks? Or should, could you yeah, we should. I do have a lovely <laughs> cocktail and one that mm-hmm. actually this week. I believe you're going to be able to construct um, because we're calling it the muddy martini. Um, uh, Yes. And you've heard of the dirty martini, of course. I have. Um, But this is we're calling the muddy martini because it's really dirty. Um, (laughs) And of course, uh, it's all starts with your favorite gin. Um, I'm assuming that will be Hendrix, but you know, we will, Mm. we will see what you have there in the bar, but uh, (laughs) your favorite gin for a martini. Now Mm -hmm. here's the thing. You, you you then start to add in things, right? You know, of course, you're going to shake this, right? So you've got your crushed yeah. ice to shake it in and all of that um, into your into your shaker. Mm-hmm. But into your into this mix will go, uh, I like to put in two tablespoons of green olive juice, right? So just, you know, taking some olive juice from the olives that you have in your refrigerator. Um, yes. A little bit, of course, dry vermouth. Um, mm-hmm. to add in, you know, whether you like to just wave the bottle or actually pour some into it, that's up to you. Um, and then actually, and this is something that you should actually have as an Englishman. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have capers in your refrigerator? I do. Um, yeah, I do. Because if you can take a little bit of the caper brine, uh, and, wow. and this is where it gets its name, put that in there. One tablespoon will do fine. And then of course, uh, and I like to get the prepackaged Serignola olives because they're mm-hmm. big. Um, mm-hmm. And I love an olive in a martini. And so mm-hmm. a couple of the big Serignola olives, and especially if they have like a, some spices to them or have been mm-hmm. had spiced a little bit, put that into the, into the, into the ultimate cocktail there. And it's, yeah, 
it's a muddy mess when you pull it when you pour it into a glass. Um, uh-huh. Don't don't be concerned about the color. It's it will not be clear when you when you <laughs> pour this in. Um, but it's a lovely tasting, very spicy, um, nice. and a wonderful uh, wonderful martini. Nice. I am tempted to dash around the house and fetch those ingredients because I did go for a little phase of having a martini on a Friday night with you, um, but I felt that <laughs> I felt that the listener experience was probably a bit off because it took me a quarter of an hour to make it and clanking and clanging. So um, let's see what I do have on my desktop bar. Well, I have some gin. So finally, we uh, we, we have some some agreement on that. Uh, this will be Hendrix gin, as you rightly predicted pour some of that oh there's there's ice in yours but you kind of stir stir it cold don't well you? i i put the one. i put it all into a shaker and shake it all up yeah yeah i i did that for a while as you know and um yes i, I think i've broken people's eardrums on this show by trying to do that <laughs> so i've i've poured a bit of i've poured a bit of that in there and i honestly do in my fridge which is uh, on my way back into the house from my my home office i have both a, ca- a jar of capers I can see in my mind's eye and, and the olives. And so I'm totally going to make this after the show. But for now, I have to put up with, re- reluctantly, obviously, with the with whatever those fine folks at Fever Tree decide to put into a drink. And they have decided that rather than capers and olives, I should just go for cucumber. So I'm going for cucumber tonic, the most English kind of olives Absolutely fantastic. It's the cucumber. In fact, the cucumber is probably related to, um, no, it's related to pickles, isn't it? Which is <laughs> like it. All right, I'm going to give this a try. Oh, that's delicious. I can taste the gin in that. That's very nice. Yes, you very there you go. And what are we calling this? Uh, we're calling this uh, the Muddy Martini. Muddy Martini. I love it. And, um, and where would one go and drink a Muddy Martini? Well, there is a place that I have discovered mm-hmm. that I'm actually going to go to, and it's 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 just looks lovely. So there is a place north of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about three hours north of San Francisco by driving, um, mm-hmm. which you know it, <laughs> I know always surprises um, those uh, in Europe so much because it's like yeah, things are really far away in <laughs> in, in the yeah. U.S. Um, you know, because you're like, you know, three hours north of London. Well, that's Scotland. So, you know, like, <laughs> um, mate, in our traffic, that's just yeah. about the outskirts of London. That's true as well. Yeah, that's, that's true as well. Yeah, London. three hours north of London, the traffic is still London. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, anyway, it's three hours north of San Francisco, and it's a place. Mm-hmm. It, there isn't really even a town. It is just a resort. It's called the Harbor House Inn, and if you Google it, you'll see it's just absolutely oh. spectacularly beautiful. It's right on the coast. Yeah. It's not, you know, for your beach loving going. It is, you know, big wonderful redwood trees and um, you know high cliffs and you know very Wuthering Heights types of uh, rocks and beaches and those kinds of things. Yeah. So, but it is absolutely spectacular from a, from a sitting around and meditating and talking and chatting and having a muddy martini and, and just enjoying nice. yourself. Nice. Nice. And um, I mean, it's in your heart part of the world, but like you say, there's so much, isn't there? Just on that West coast, you can go from where you are uh, in the sunshine uh, through all these different places, can't you? All the way up to up to the north to to Seattle and Portland, can't you? It's all different. 
Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. different. Yeah, it can be yeah. very, very different from, you know, you know, I mean, there's a there's a famous saying here in, in Southern California that says, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can have breakfast at the beach, lunch in the, you know, ski chalet and yeah. dinner uh, in, uh, you know, in the desert. And so it's, yeah. and, and yeah. it's, Amazing. it is, abs- I've done it. I've absolutely done it. It's, yeah. you know, it's kind of a harried day, but, you know, you can yeah. actually technically do it. Well, I think that I mean, it isn't isn't that a rite of passage if you're a if you're a Californian that you must do that once in your life. Just that's right. the same. You, you true. definitely <laughs> must do it once in your life for sure. Well, that sounds that sounds delightful. And so we're we're in this lovely lodge by the sounds of things uh, in the more more um, more temperate climate, I, I guess, that far north San Francisco from you. So. Um, but I imagine the weather is still absolutely gorgeous. And uh, we're drinking these wonderful gin drinks, uh, these wonderful uh, dirty, dirty, dirty martinis. What are we going to be talking about, mate? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about um, content strategy and, and actually doing it, um, which is an interesting way to phrase it, I know, because inevitably one of the things that I find is so fascinating about implementing uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, it's, it's the classic sort of, there's, there's doing the strategy and then there's actually implementing the strategy. It's, it's the most <laughs> difficult thing, right? It's, it, yeah. it is not uncommon for me to be working with a client or, you know, hear this at a workshop or something where, yeah. you know, you've built the business case, you've gotten the permission, you've laid out the roadmap, you've got the initiatives that you need to take under wing, ready to roll. And then you go, you know, you go, congratulations, you know, you're ready to begin. And the client says, you know, there's a heavy sigh and they say, yeah, but now we actually have to do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that, and the interesting thing is to me is there's a wonderful metaphor that that works with, which uh, comes from the world of tightrope walking. Um, and, That's- you know, <laughs> The, 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 the intro, it was, it's in a book. Um, mm-hmm. and the book is a, a collection of short stories and it's called, uh, um, the vigilantes of love. It's not a terribly good book just to be honest, but there's <laughs> one short story in there that is narrated by a tightrope walker and the tightrope walker says it's the second step. Everybody thinks it's the first step that's hard. It's actually the second step. That's the hardest. And when asked why the tightrope walker says, well, because the, the hardest step is that second step because that's when, you know, once you step out on the tightrope and then you take that second step, that's mm-hmm. where you gain or lose your balance. That's where it either is going to be a walk mm-hmm. or a fall. Yeah. You know, there's no going back after the second step. Yeah. You're committed. And you're committed is exactly yeah. right. <laughs> and I thought that was a really interesting metaphor for this because it's, it is that second step. It's the actual starting that can do it because one of the things that comes up often when we think about content strategy implementation mm-hmm. is this idea of, can we do it right? Can, mm-hmm. you know, we, we question ourselves and we say, can we do it? And there are usually three responses when we say, can we do this? Right. You know, there's the, you know, there's the dismissive sort of, well, they did it. So we can certainly, I mean, if they did it, we yeah. can do it. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, very dismissive, weirdly dismissive of the person. And, but, you know, mm-hmm. not dismissive of the actual plan. You know, the a great example of that is the the the, the latest NFT thing, right? Where Beeple mm-hmm. sells 
a stupid JPEG for $69 million. And we all go, well, we could totally do that. <laughs> yeah, you didn't, you didn't yeah. do that. You yeah. know, he did and he got paid for it. That's the lesson, mm. the boldness there of actually mm. doing the thing. But then there's also the template response, right? Where we go, oh, I just need a template. Just give me a checkbox and I'll, and, yeah. and, and we can totally do it. It's like, no. It never works out that way, right? Yeah. I mean, when was it ever that you downloaded a case study and went, oh, yeah, it, this is going to go exactly the way their case study went. Mm -hmm. It never goes <laughs> that way. It never goes that smoothly. And then there's the looking outside. This is my favorite, which is looking outside of your industry or your business or even the project itself and just looking for some sort of spark of innovation because that's yeah. what you can look to to take that second step because you can start to use that as a North star. So in this particular case, you know, I was working with this client who was like, Oh, now we have to go do it. And it's like, right, we'll go get inspired by something completely different. You know, a business that yeah. put in a big enterprise content management system, or they, you know, otherwise executed some big change. What did they do? Like what, how, not how did they do it, but what did they yeah. do that really made them successful and made that big change in the implementation part successful? Yeah. And it's really around finding that plan that brings you to it. In other words, mm -hmm. not looking for a template, not looking for something that you can go, oh, that's the easy way. That's the checklist way. But rather finding this inspiration that forces you to actually yeah. bring your innovation, your creativity, your knowledge to the table because when you've put your foot out on that tightrope and then you're going to take that second step, it is all you. And when it's all you, that's when it becomes a walk and not sort yeah. of something where you can, you know, you have to improvise to not fall. So it's just, yeah. a, it, I just think it's a different approach and it's, and it's, so, it's one that I found that's really interesting yeah. in making that commitment. I love that analogy. And I, you see that in all sorts of marketing disciplines, don't you? Especially like working with somebody like yourself or with a design agency or somebody like that who helps you maybe define your story or define your brand or whatever it is. That bit is, I mean, it's not easy by any extent. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. But the implementation, that first step on the, is, and, and the hard miles that you're going to need to do for the next, I don't know, 6, 12, 18 months is is the tough bit isn't it that you need to be continually be motivated to move forward with with this initiative otherwise it's ultimately going to fail it's 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 a great point i mean yeah. it, it really is a great point and in fact it's funny enough because the book uh itself the short story mm -hmm. what the narrator does toward the toward the end is said you know he spends a lot of time talking about that second step yeah. um you know, the commitment, basically your commitment. But, yeah. the, but then what he says is he says, he says, the third step is actually the beginning, right? The third step right. is when you, when you complete that first big project or that first big part of the initiative or that first big task that you have to do, that's the third step. And yeah. then, you know, cause, because it becomes one complete motion of the, you know, of your new idea, right? It becomes one complete, yeah. that third step is the first time that you actually take a step out on the, you know, full, a full one yeah. full step on the tightrope, right? Yeah. And so that's interesting. And then he says the fourth step is actually an affirmation that your third step was right. Mm -hmm. And he says by the fifth step, it's just walking. Right, right. By that point, you are, you're not, 
I mean, I guess the third step, you're a tightrope walker, and I guess the fourth step, you're just a walker. That's <laughs> I right. Trying to yeah, form in it, my head. Right? That, that yeah, I love, yeah. I, I love that metaphor so much because it's like, yeah. right? It's not until you get to the fifth step that you're actually yeah. doing the thing. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, because that first step is just literally coming up. You know, yeah. taking the courage to say, "Am I going to do this? Yes, I'm going yeah. to do this." The second yeah. step is you actually committing to do it. The third mm-hmm. step is actually the first step in doing the thing. And then yeah. the fourth and fifth step becomes sort of the affirmations that you're actually on a right path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that initial, I mean, we see that, don't we? And so, like I said, in so many marketing initiatives, that initial friction, that initial point at the beginning about getting something going. And then I guess what we're saying there in the fourth and fifth steps it becomes the thing you do, right? It's like any habit, isn't it? It becomes a habit within the business. Oh, we are going to do content marketing. Therefore, we are going to um, take do these processes and this is what we're going to do. Well, that's Whereas a great the, point too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a great point, which is it becomes a pattern, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've proven it or pr- proven it, it's speaking American, uh, in, in the fourth <laughs> step, right? It's, you've done an iteration. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I didn't think you'd understand me otherwise. So. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, yes, yes, yes. You've done an iteration and therefore the fifth, sixth, seventh is going to be, you know, like you say, it's just walking at that point. That's, that's I love, right. That's a, that's a great story. I love that. Um, yes, and I shall totally. Uh, I, I, I need to start writing a lot more of these down and stealing them more. But uh, yes, that's. I love that. I love that analogy of being a tightrope walker. Thank you very much, Robert. And mm. uh, where might people find other analogies such as this associated with our everyday lives? Oh, we're filled with analogies <laughs> at uh, contentadvisory.net. In fact, the whole website is one giant analogy. Really, if you, <laughs> if, you if you really look at it that way. Um, yeah, so contentadvisory.net is our little hobble mm-hmm. on the net. Lovely. Yes. And I had your colleague, uh, Kathy McKnight, on the show this week. I know that I recorded these separately between the two of you. So, uh, yeah, so we've got a nice content strategy thing, and we're definitely sending people to contentadvisory.net. Oh, this brilliant. Week. Yeah, TCA. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And uh, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, uh, where are they going to find you yourself, sir? Uh, they'll find me primarily on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter uh, to connect mm-hmm. on social media. And then, of course, I've got our own little podcast as well. It's called This Old Marketing and love mm-hmm. to connect with everybody there, too. Yes, I enjoy it. That's my Friday Friday lunchtime walk. I love the uh, This Old Marketing. And I shall include a link, as I do every week, actually, in the show notes of This Old Marketing. Thank you very much, Robert. And the most important question, will you be in the bar next week? I believe so, and we'll hope it's a little quieter than this uh, country band. Seems to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I look forward to it. Thanks, mate. I'll see you then. Cheers. Cheers. So that's a wrap on episode 106 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Kathy, and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work, and check out all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another Epic Marketing Podcast? Please let us know and help other people find us by dropping a rating or review in your favorite podcast app, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here.
Next week, Jeff and I will continue with the final part of the five effing marketing fundamentals. I'm looking forward to chatting with President and CEO at Avaset Communications, Laurie Jones. And Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual part. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.